Side Hustle Show 191, Reverse Engineering, a best-selling book launch. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your 9 to 5 may make you a living, but your 5 to 9 makes you alive. And now, your host, Nick Loper. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. Today, our goal is to break down the common elements of a successful book launch and see what's working now and how we can apply those tactics to our own projects. My guest has been part of the marketing team behind the scenes of several big book launches in the past couple years, including side hustle show guests like Dan Norris, Taylor Pearson, Neil Patel, and John Lee Dumas. Now, long-time listeners may remember Tom Morcus from TomMorcus.com from way back in the archives. He was on episode 31 talking about when you may actually be able to make more money using a pay-what-you-want pricing model. But as you may know, I've got a book launch of my own coming up. It's called Buy Buttons. I don't have a subtitle yet, but it's all about the pre existing marketplaces that we can use to make extra money, to diversify our income streams, and to kickstart a business. Now, if that sounds like a good read, you can stop by uh, buybuttonsbook.com for more info and to sign up to get notified when that um, is ready for release. But that's why I invited Tom back on the show, to pick his brain a little bit and see what's working today on Amazon and, uh, and some other marketplaces. So stick around to hear how to validate your book idea, how to build uh, a launch team, even if you don't have a big audience, how to build some buzz around your launch, and some of Tom's favorite marketing channels and strategies. Notes and links for this one are at um, sidehustlenation.com slash Tom, plus you can download a free PDF highlight reel with all of Tom's top tips, very much into the alliteration there. Ready? Let's do it. You recommend people start with a validation of like, is there is there a demand for this book idea, or it's like, hey, I'm a I'm an artist, I'm a creator, I want to put this out into the world and take it or leave it. We'll see what happens. Yes, yeah, so I I respect artists and creatives, and I'm I you know I think my blog kind of started speaking to them in a big way, but I don't like it if somebody is an, uh, an artist or a writer or a creative who doesn't take themselves seriously as a business too and as an entrepreneur. And kind of looking at things that way, which is to say that I think if you just base everything off emotion, like, well, I'm going to do this just because that's fine. But yeah, if you don't, if that's all you're doing, then I I wouldn't necessarily expect any certain results to happen either. But if you come at it as an artist, creative, whatever, and you're creating something that you think is worthwhile, but you approach it as an entrepreneur, I think that's, that's the best way to do it. And what I'm saying here is that there's kind of two ways to frame it either, or maybe three ways. One, you just come at it as a creative, you do whatever you want. Okay, I, I wouldn't expect too much from it. Then the other two ways is as an entrepreneur, either one, you're looking for where in the marketplace is there a need for a type of book, and then you're like filling that. I'm not big on that, and I'll explain if you guys want. But the other way is you have an idea, you have a, you think it's going to be worthwhile, and you're going to approach it as an entrepreneur and make it as successful as possible. Those are the people I like to work with, and those are what I might call like platform books. So if you look at like everyone you just mentioned, Every single one of those authors that we worked with, they're writing books that I define as maybe like a platform book. They're books that will stand the test of time, that this person can be known for, that when they're introduced as a speaker, hey, he's the author of The Seven Day Startup. I remember when Dan Norris told me that. He's like, I'd built all these businesses and, and, you know, and done all this other stuff. But you know, lately, every time I've been introduced and to speak, they say I'm the author of The Seven Day Startup. And it's like, that's what we work with and that's what I care about when it comes to like helping those type of authors create really good books and get really good books out there that generally will be evergreen and that will be something that they can kind of get behind and their whole platform can get behind. 
Okay, it kind of becomes your your new calling card. Bingo. Okay. Like, at what stage of the process do you begin marketing? Like, before the book is even written, or you know, at some point you're putting the finishing touches on your draft. I'll give you the example. Like, with the past couple, maybe maybe not the last few books, but like early on in my in my self publishing journey, marketing was the last thing on my mind. I was like, I'm trying to finish this stupid book, and then you know, mm. I put it out on Amazon and. It would say, you know, I did like a free launch and it would move a few units. And then after that, it kind of, you know, would trickle off. And one book, I probably was around the time we recorded the last interview, I was a, like tried to launch this book like while I was over in Thailand and it just kind of was a dud. And so like, you know, what could I have done better to, you know, market this thing beforehand or, or build buzz or like how much is that is even important? That's a great question. And like there's there's a lot of variables here and a lot of things to kind of consider all at once. And it's it's things like. I'll talk about the timeline a little bit here in a second, but like coming back to the core of the book, you know, you're talking about idea validation just before that. But a lot of the stuff, the hard work, the heavy work, the heavy lifting goes into that idea of ideal validation, like way before that book is ever written. I think a lot of people run into trouble if they're trying to put all their new ideas into a book without putting those new ideas actually out there in some other form or fashion. I mean, if you read anything by Seth Godin, if you read his blog, you've gotten everything that's in his books from his blog. And that doesn't decrease the value of the book at all, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you, th- you think about that and you think about, you know, again, a lot of the, the writers and, and authors in the business space or marketing, um, nonfiction that I really, truly admire and love. I mean, they're usually putting their ideas out there consistently for a long time before they come out with a book. And, and a lot of times, you know, you might see a criticism like that. Oh, well, I read this on his blog or it's like just, just rehashes of like stuff that's already out there. I think very rarely, but the point is these people, I think the most successful authors in that context are already testing their ideas and they're putting them out there, whether it's blogging, whether it's on Facebook there's a hundred different ways to kind of get that stuff out there and get early feedback to see if these are ideas that resonate or not. And if there's like, are there legs behind this idea for like a whole book, you know, versus say, oh, I had this great idea. I think it's so new. I'm going to keep it covered up and, and, and secret until we launch. But by then the problem is not only one, have you not necessarily validated if the idea has legs, but two, nobody really knows that they should care. Whereas if you're putting stuff out there on a blog or a podcast uh, consistently on like a certain topic or, or sharing on Facebook and social, these different ideas and stuff like that, you're building your audience as you do this. And you don't need to have a huge audience. I, I've worked with guys recently who I had just started a blog from scratch, but he, I told him to, to start just writing on Facebook and share his posts there. And sure enough, he's built up an audience of like several hundred people that are gearing up for this book whenever he does release it just through that simple process of doing that over the course of like two or three months. Because if it's a good idea, good topics, and you engage with the readers early, that's going to get them excited and get them aware that's something that they should pay attention to this when it comes out. Yeah, we've seen like Taylor Pearson's great example of that, like writing these essays on his blog and seeing which ones you resonated with readers, you know, which one got any traction. Okay, that's something I ought to include. Oh, this one was kind of a dud. I'm going to ax that from the book. We've even seen it in, uh, in fiction with like Andy Weir published pretty much the entire Martian on his site and then, you know, got a publishing deal and a, and a movie deal and, and all this stuff. Yeah. And so he's definitely a great example of an outlier, but uh, you know that there's... All of these are outliers, right? <laughs> that's why that's why they're notable. And that's why we want to learn from their success. That's, that's a good point. I guess they are kind of outliers in their own way. I guess the difference is some are kind of predictable outliers. Like the movie deal is pretty unpredictable. That's an amazing thing. Like I'd, obviously that'd be cool to happen. I just don't know how you would like manufacture that. <laughs> right, but, right. but but the other piece is totally manufacturable, if that makes sense. Like if you put the stuff out on some sort of channel and you engage with people, even if they're friends and family at first and just getting them to like respond and maybe share. I mean, that's how it happens little by little. And it's that, that early traction, that early kind of, it compounds over time. But like that's it. Like that's something that can be manufactured and you can actually put faith into the work that you're doing if you do it that way, I think. I mean, that's how you built your blog, Nick, right? And your podcast, right? It was like little by little. You didn't come out, 
you know, guns blazing per se or with like, you know, hundreds of millions in backed finance, did you? Not at all. I launched with an email list of 11. And I think half of those were <laughs> friends and family. All of them were friends and family at that point. Okay, so I'm feeling good about kind of the, the pre-validation. So the idea for the book that I'm working on right now is like these pre-existing marketplaces. And so I had published a post that was like, you know, all about, it was like 200 different platforms that you can use to earn money. And posted really, really well. And I was in a mastermind group and the other people in the master were like, hey, you know, that's the foundation for your next book, right? And it's like, look at look at the people who love this post. And it's like, oh, you're, you know what? You're right. And I was like, okay, so, so I've gone down that path, kind of like validated that people are into this stuff. What, what would you say is next? You know, you're, you're talking about prepping for the launch and stuff like that, getting your marketing moving here. When do you plan to release this, Nick? Um, end of September. Okay, so we're coming up pretty tight right now. And I know you've already probably, you know, the fact that we're talking about it now means you've already kind of been working on the, the marketing and stuff like that and kind of getting the, the word out there. So I would say like usually we try to do like three to six months out. We define what the strategy of the book is. Like what is the message of the book? What are the themes? And try to maybe define maybe three or four themes. And then where are those themes? Like where do they fit in the marketplace and in, in different industries or spaces? As an example, um, you know, the seven day startup, we might pull a theme from that is obviously startups. Okay. So now with, I mean, that's pretty simple, right? It's in the title. This could be good for in the startup space. Well, it's also really great in the kind of entrepreneur, entrepreneur space, right? People just getting started in a big way. And that's actually probably where I think it blew up the biggest. Um, but it's also good in like maybe internet marketing space a little bit. It's great in maybe the freelancing piece because he talks about uh, service as a service. So there's these different themes we can pull from this and say, okay, there, there maybe there's three to the, like 10 different channels here. We're probably going to prioritize startups and entrepreneurship, but there are smaller, there, there, there are demographics where this might also fit that may have less bang for the buck, but we don't want to forget about those. So I'd start kind of outlining that. Where is this going to fit? And then what is going to be the main approach to getting noticed in those spaces? Not yelling, but just getting noticed. You know what I mean? And that's going to frame it the right way so that you start thinking, okay, well, what are the blogs and podcasts that are out there? Are there podcasts out there that talk on the subject or I can take it from this, you know, my new book, it's going to have this angle on it. Can I approach somebody in the freelancing space or in this space, even though it's maybe not directly about it, can we find an angle? Obviously, the ones that are going to be most prime are the ones that where it's a clear, low-hanging fruit. Like this book is on this topic. In this case, you're talking about platforms and ways to make money. I mean, we know the low-hanging fruit for you is anybody who talks about, one, some sort of like side hustle, right? Anything that's like making money on the side. Mm -hmm. um, two, could be like blogging-related type podcasts. There might be, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff like that. Anybody who talks about platforms would be a low-hanging fruit, obviously, too, because you're that's specifically like the context. But we might also think about like, Anybody who, who maybe talks about or, or has podcasts on online business, e-commerce sites, anything where what you're going to reference in the book. And so I'd start building out that list, um, what I call like kind of our promotional list. This is like your target list of people, like is there specific people or groups that have an audience of your potential readers? Yeah. And so I'll, I'll, line, I'll line that up and we'll get the kind of minimum criteria I pull. Like we do, we do this pretty extensively, like list building and stuff like that, whether it's warm or cold or... And, and over time, obviously, a lot of cold people that have these outlets and, and these platforms, blogs, podcasts, et cetera, and YouTube channels, you know, we kind of get to know over time, which is kind of cool about what we do, which makes us more and more impactful or more or even better at what we do now than a couple of years ago because of all these connections. But it's, not, it's no longer there's a cold like stranger uh, email out. OK, right. But but we do do the cold outreach still because there's always new platforms being developed. There's always new podcasts that are coming out. There's always new blogs that are kind of getting a little more traction and people are starting to pay attention to these, you know, and that's great. You, those are the people that are the best, the ones that are kind of just up and coming. But I would look at for you like I would prioritize and say 80 20 principle says, 
you know, 20% of your efforts is going to create the 80% of your results, right? So in this context, I would say, we talked about the low-hanging fruit of the themes. I'd say, look at what's in that space in, in iTunes and all those podcasts that are out there. Two, for you, you have 160 interviews under your belt. How many do you have under your belt right now? This will be like 190, 191. Okay, so there's 190 people you could reach out to that probably have some sort of platform that may be interested in supporting this. That would be in another, I put that in another tab. Like if I was doing this on Google Sheets, that would be a separate tab that I would look to see what could I leverage to either get on their shows more than just asking them to like tweet, right? That's kind of a waste of time. And then I'd build out this list. I try to get like one, two, 300 real, like legitimate potential outlets to find how we're going to reach out to them. What's the angle? How do we make it personable? And then I would do, I would do personal outreach to those one, two, 300 outlets. And I would say, hey, here's what I'm working on. This is why I think it's a good fit for you and, and why your audience might get a kick out of it or however you want to frame it, you know, whatever's in your voice. But that clearly shows it's not just like a spam email that just you copy and paste it and sent to 300 people. You know, personalizing it is so key. And that's how we get response, like positive response rates of like 30%, maybe maybe upwards of 40, even on like cold, cold outreach because we personalize every single email that goes out. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. What does that pitch look like for somebody who doesn't have an audience? Maybe this, this guy you're talking about who's just been posting on Facebook for a couple months. For somebody like him, he's got enough traction, I think, in terms of like gotten, gotten feedback that he's kind of like still building his platform. So he's not necessarily prepping for that just yet because I think he's trying to get a traditional publisher. So if that happens, then it's not going to come out for like another two years, right? So if he does do that, that changes a lot of things. So he hasn't started the outreach. But what I would recommend to him, one, because I've been talking to him, if I were him, I would ask me for a referral, right? I'd say, Tom, can you introduce me to some people? Uh, so that'd be number one, right? 
like the people that you already know that you've already talked to that may or may not have like some influence themselves. I'm not saying I have a ton, but I've, I've worked with a lot of people. I'm sure I can find somebody and make some intro to somebody somewhere that might be useful. And that's literally, that would be the low hanging fruit that I would say that's where you start with. Because if I can introduce them to maybe three or four different podcasters where it would be a relevant message and they're like, heck yeah, let's bring them on. That's going to be his in and he's going to be able to leverage them to get other references or, or promotions around his book. Right. It's like, okay, who, who else should I talk to? Who else would be, who else would find this information valuable? Would you say in, in that pitch, would you say I can speak to topic number one, topic number two, like specific hooks or angles? Or would you just say, I have a book coming out and I want to promote, <laughs> like I get those pitches all the time and I'm like, why do I care? I don't think you should care. Like, right. If you ask dumb questions, you get dumb answers. Right. <laughs> and, and so we have to think about like, how are we framing this? If I say, well, I'll, you know, what do you want? I'll take anything. Okay. Well, you'll get anything. You know what I mean? You, you know, that's not very useful. That's not a great question to ask. Um, but if you can say, do you know anybody else in the self-help space or self personal development space? that focuses on, I don't know, millennials or that focuses on entrepreneurs or that focuses on, you know, stay at home moms. I don't know. Right. It just depends. If you ask a more specific question, you know, that's going to make the data collection of that person who's listening to you say, oh yeah, in my brain, there's that person that I think of when you, cause you defined it the right way. So I think, yeah, the more specific you can get the better. So like if I were Nick after this, after this conversation, what I might say is, cause I know kind of the space you're in, right. I might say, Hey, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Do you know anybody else in the blogging space, or maybe, maybe even like kind of, I don't know if a side hustle, I don't maybe you've created the side hustle genre, but maybe anybody else in the side hustle space that would be interested in this topic. I'm sure you could come up with a few, right? So that's how I would frame it. Cause I wouldn't try to get every interaction or every connection in the world from one person. You want to get maybe one or two, maybe three would be awesome. But if you think about it, if you can get every person you speak to or get on a podcast, get you two referrals, two introductions or two suggestions. I mean, now you're compounding. And that's cool because I know a latter a latter question will probably come up. Like, how do we keep the momentum alive when it comes to book sales? It's all that long tail. So if you line up, you know, 30 podcasts to go live in the first month, the real benefit is the fact that those 30 will go live. You're going to get like another 30 or 100 requests to be on different podcasts and blogs. And that's where your, okay. your name yeah. and the book itself can really blow up. And you really like the podcast angle versus guest blogging or like other means of, of spreading the word. I do only because of effort to results. So like I love guest, I think guest posting is still one of the most effective things you can do if you connect with like the right blog or connect with the right website to like write for. And there are certain people who have like really engaged audiences and a guest post means a lot and that stuff can really move the needle. But you know, it's just the thing, I, I don't know about you. I'm not, I don't consider myself a terrible writer. I think I'm, I'm decent, maybe above average, but I'm slow. So if I'm going to write a guest post, it's going to take me literally, I time myself on these things. So I mean, average time might take like 10 to 20 hours. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. That's not out of the line. Right. So now all of a sudden it's like 20 hours of my time, or could I line up and do 20 podcasts? And so bang for your buck, I see the podcast as actually being a great angle and maybe writing a few select blogs that maybe you can take and tweak or repurpose on multiple different blogs uh, without watering it down, without like doing a disservice to the person who's like accepting your guest post. So, you know, there's a, there's a fine line you have to walk there, but what, here's the best way to do it though. You know, your book's written, take your book and then just repurpose the content and then see what you can do to make it more kind of blog esque, right? Not just like a chapter from a book and then use that to get on guest posts. That's the way you repurpose content. I think in a, in a way that's very beneficial for your book and, and the longevity of it. Okay. Yeah. And did the same or did a similar thing with, uh, with the work smarter book. Like you had, here's a section on productivity or, you know, what are the, what are your favorite productivity tools? And so like go out to all of these like productivity blogs and say, Hey, here's the, here are the top rated productivity tools as voted by 500 entrepreneurs or something. Okay. 
So taking bits and pieces and finding, you know, which audiences would be relevant for those. Do you go down the path of okay, we're going to try and build like this 500 person launch team? You, here's the deal. You're going to get an advanced copy. We expect that you put a review before the public launch or like during launch week or something like that. Yeah, no, we, we always, I'd say 100% of the time, actually. This, this is this is legit. Um, <laughs> this is a, the launch team is a serious thing. Oh, very. I say we, we've done it 100% of the time. I can't think of actually like some project we worked on where we didn't have that for a book. Now, as far as size, there's some things to kind of consider is, you know, how are you actually launching the book? How is it getting out there? Are you going to launch it at like a certain price point, like a discount and then increase the price? Or are you going to give it away free at the beginning? So a few different ways to do it. Of the ones that we've done, and I know this is, is going to seem weird, but honestly, we've seen the best results from giving it away free time and time again. And it's kind of crazy over time because we've done some like discount book launches, stuff like that, or like knowing we're not going to get as many sales. But like over time, the ones that we're giving away free have more sales on average. And I think the big thing there is because one, you're getting early exposure, lowering the barrier to entry. People are going to purchase. It's going to get in more people's hands, number one. But number two is it because it allows and facilitates uh, you to get more reviews, which I think indirectly influences sales, right? So I'd say the two best, like th- there's maybe like two or three kind of best practices is either A, free, and know that that's going to hit you in the, the you know, that's not going to be a money producer in the beginning, but could have the longest legs behind it. Two is do some sort of discount, like 99 cent type thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant on that. I like to do a free two discount launch where I do like free for the first three days, then go to 99 cents and then do a lot of paid promotion across like all the book paid book sites um, so that we hit like number one and then kind of every now and then perpetually do that. We then raise the price to like two ninety nine or, you know, up to seven ninety nine or something like that for, for a self-published book. And then intermittently do these like discount relaunches to kind of keep it at, at the top. I think for a self-publisher, that's actually a pretty consistent like strategy that can produce results. Man, going back to the the launch team really quick, you know, what's your 80, 80, 20 on, you know, building an effective launch team? Like how many people should I shoot for? What do I need to give them? And what should I expect in return? What you should do is I think you should create a short survey that's maybe like five questions long. Have people put in their first, you know, first and last name, uh, email address, what their website is, if they have one, um, why they want to be a part of the ambassador group or street team. And then what would make it like the, an amazing experience for them to be a part of this? Those would be the questions I'd ask. And I would actually put that out to your list. And I would have people opt in to do this because you're going to be able to get as many people as you want. And I would set up a, like a Facebook group. That's usually how we manage these things and invite people in. But if you get like a thousand people in there, you're not going to get a thousand reviews. In your case, you have an audience where you can, you can make it application and people will take it more seriously because of that. And you can have them a couple check boxes where it's like, I know I, I agree to read the book before it comes out. I agree to leave a review, an honest review. And what you're doing is you're getting people to buy in and commit to everything that you need right there, right? Versus just like opening the floodgates and letting anybody join and not really having any kind of personal connection. How about for the person who doesn't have a huge audience to, you know, run application process through? Okay. So then on that case, I would put it out still to your network and still ask if anybody's interested in this. So I would do it through one lowest hanging fruit is going to be emailed to people, you know, friends and family. Okay. Um, And all you're asking for is just... You know, you join the group, I'm, I'm looking for people to read this and then just write an honest review. And then I'll give you kind of insider access to me and to the book process. And you'd be surprised. There's, you know, friends and family, I mean, maybe not everybody's, but, but a lot of people will still be like, yeah, I'll do that because, hey, it's friends and family. And then that's just the lowest hanging fruit and you might as well leverage that. The second then is, is the people in your audience that you might not even know are fans of yours with the assumption that you've been publishing pretty regularly, whether on a blog or a Facebook group or, I'm sorry, Facebook page or whatever, wherever you've been kind of like sharing 
your ideas and, and kind of what we talked about like in writing the book, that's where you go to now when you look at the people who have commented on those things or sent you an email to like say something nice about it or whatever and you reach out to those people personally because if, if you're small, if you're the underdog, you need to do the extra effort of making things personal. Yeah. There's no such thing as scaling from nothing, right? <laughs> One of the things I've seen recently, really the past year or so, is people launching their book for free, kind of on their own platform almost. Like, hey, I'm going to uh, give you give you the hardcover for free or give you, give you the paperback for free. You just pay $6 for shipping or something. Mm-hmm. And, and then they get all these like affiliates on board. Say, hey, you know, so-and-so's book is free today. Sign up, you know, email, and then, you know, you pay for your shipping. You get the copy of the book. Is that just like banking on like some product, some like big product upsell down the road or how does that work? Yeah. So in that context, the, the, the strategy behind this is the person has a product on the back end that's really lucrative and it may either be like an e-course where it's like kind of a direct upsell, which we've, you know, we kind of worked on projects like that before, or it goes into something that's more like an application process that leads to like high end coaching, like ten, twenty thousand $20,000 ticket type stuff or something like that. And in either case, that makes sense. Okay. So you try and break even through the shipping costs and then you know, a certain percentage of these people are going to buy. Yep. If you want to get affiliates on board, you want to get like affiliate promotional partners on something. The only way to structure it is to do something like that is to do like a free giveaway so that they are incentivized to share with their list. It's still a win for their list because, hey, here's this book. You can get it for free, right? That's the pitch. That's the that's the lead gen. And then they know that there's going to be this upsell through something on the back end. And they know, okay, well, I, I give, you know, get the book, get my audience to buy the book. I probably make nothing on the book itself. But, you know, 1% to 3% or 5 or whatever conversion rate on the back end for a $1,000 course, it's a great lead magnet if you're doing kind of like the more traditional affiliate launch. In that context, though, you know, I think I think Jeff Walker hit one of the main lists, like New York Times or Wall Street Journal, but like that that they've really cracked down on the free, this kind of like structure of like giving away free, just pay shipping. So like, if your goal is like hitting one of the lists, I I mean that doesn't seem like a good, I don't know, I, you know, it's soft knowledge at best, but it, it seems like it hasn't been working very often for other people. So just keep that in mind too. Free especially makes sense if you have, you know, that upsell thing. Like if you you know have some back end offer, which I. I don't at the yep. moment. Maybe I, maybe I, I wish I had a two thousand dollar course to tell you. You mentioned paid promo sites. I've used BuckBooks in the past, and I've seen them move the needle. Are there any other ones that you like? Yeah, actually. So we put thousands of dollars into these paid sites now for different clients and stuff like that, which is really kind of the fun part. And we finally assembled like our our database now of um, yes, lay, lay it on me, lay it on. I me. know, right? I'll say BuckBooks actually converts really well, has as really good. And what we do is we look at like the price per book. Does that make sense? So like if I'm putting like $100 into a platform and we sell 30 books on it via Amazon, kind of as, uh, tracking as best as we can. And, and there's, f- so it's imperfect analysis because you never know exactly because Amazon doesn't give you that information, but you can kind of line the stuff up and look at uh, what was the, the sales average beforehand, what was it during that day launch and then afterwards, or you can kind of get some sort of average of what these sites are kind of worth. And so I look at it as how expensive is it for me to move one book from this platform? I look at stuff like where can I get, you know, less than a dollar per book to sell on these platforms. We've had good results. Free discounted books worked really well for us. We had decent results from Awesome Gang. And then My Book Place is another one. And again, you, you, there's so many variables here. There are, there are dozens of these things. Like um, uh, Dave Chesson has like a really good list on his site, Kindlepreneur.com, of, you know, all of the different, you know, different promo sites. We've gotten, we've used pretty much all of them. 
And so I'm just highlighting some of the ones where I'm looking at the cost per unit sold is cheap. And so we're doing mo- most of the books we do are some sort of business nonfiction, marketing or sales or whatever, or entrepreneurship. So take that with a grain of salt. If you're doing, so if somebody's listening and you have like a romance novel, I have no idea if that would actually convert on these particular sites. But for the ones I just mentioned, our nonfiction books have done really well. All right, Tom, this has been, uh, this has been pretty fascinating stuff. I've, I've learned some things and you've got my brain spinning. I had one thing going in my head and now maybe you got a different thing going. So I always like when people are, are challenging my, <laughs> my plans and strategies. So thank you for that. Check them out, tommorcus.com. And we'll wrap this thing up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. Actually, do you remember what you said in 2013 when I asked you that? I don't remember. Do you? <laughs> I had to look, I had to go look it up. You said, you said, get started. And I'm going to ask if that has changed or you have a different number one tip. Man, I'd say, I would say get started and just, uh, I guess with it, with experience, I love that. I think that's great advice. Good job, Tom. Uh, 2013. <laughs> Good job, 2013, Tom. <laughs> um, but I would say, yeah, get started because that still is true. And I would say with the, with the wisdom, uh, of, of the last few years, it's not, nothing's going to be perfect. You know, the stuff you're going to do, a lot of it might not work well or it might not work at all, but if you keep going, so get started and then just keep going and, and be willing to like go through the beating or whatever, or take the, take the knocks you have to take and just know that it does get better. And I think success is one of those things when we talk about it, it's like kind of, sometimes I look at it kind of being silly to talk about like what is success and all these kind of like cliches and, and, and idioms about it or whatever. But, but I think it's interesting. I feel like success is one of those things that if you're just consistent and you're persistent and you just can weather the downside on a lot of this stuff and you're just willing to accept that it's kind of inevitable that you'll be able to achieve kind of what you set out to achieve. So I'd say get started if you haven't. Um, and if you're, if you're in the thick of it and you're in that dip, what Seth Godin calls it, keep going. It, it gets better. <laughs> so I've been to the dip, you know, and, and I think we'll probably all go through dips probably again and again, depending on what level you're at. But just remember to keep, keep going. Sounds good, man. Thanks so much. We'll so my top takeaways from this call with Tom, number one, Hey, what's the point of your book? Is it a platform book? What are you, why are you writing it? Do you have something to offer on the back end? Is it a lead gen thing? This one definitely made me think about it a little bit because there are certainly activities that we can do that are more profitable in the near term than uh, book writing. You're going to spend, uh, you know, a couple in my case, a couple months, you know, writing the thing, um, you know, another month editing or marketing it. And, you know, it's like, it's a lot of time that goes into this and, you know, the, the monetary rewards aren't necessarily there. So you kind of have to bank on this being a long-term play. And it's, you know, once it's created, it's a long-term passive income asset. Absolutely. So, you know, what's the point of the of the buy buttons book? I, I don't know if I'd call it a platform book, but it is definitely my most ambitious book project to date. It's been a ton of fun to work on. So that's part of the point of it. It's like, it's an enjoyable thing for me to do the practice of writing and researching. Like I actually felt like a real author doing this. And I'm excited to get it out there. Like, I'm going to try some different marketing tactics this time around using some of Tom's suggestions. I think it can help a lot of people, you know, give people some new side hustle ideas and hopefully introduce a new group of readers to Side Hustle Nation. I guess that's the big the big picture point of it, more so than the author royalties. I think there's a big audience of buyers out there on Amazon. And a hit book is, you know, one way to to get in front of them. That's one of the buy button platforms that's that's featured in the book. Uh, takeaway number two is, can I itemize who's going to be interested? Can I list out the audiences that might be interested in this, who are going to want to read it? How can I get in front of those audiences, those communities, those blogs, podcasts, those forums, those groups, and 
you know, how can I validate the book in advance by sharing content and seeing how well that content resonates? I thought Tom's uh, Seth Godin example was perfect that, hey, if you've read his blog, you're not going to find anything new under the sun in his books. Uh, takeaway number three is, you know, there's no shortcuts. There's, uh, like I said, a lot of work that goes into the writing, editing, and marketing of a book. So with your limited hours, and we all have limited hours, you got to focus on the 80-20 of activities that can get you in front of the widest audience. So notes, links, and a free PDF highlight reel from this conversation are at sidehustlenation.com slash Tom. Again, if you want to be the first to hear about the Buy Buttons book when it's released, head on over to buybuttonsbook.com and uh, learn a little bit more about the project and uh, drop in your email. You'll be the first to hear about it. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show where we're going to hear from a stay-at-home mom who's found a big success on one of those buy buttons platforms i'll see you then hustle on thanks for listening to the side hustle show at www.sidehustlenation.com 